0: And we're back. Um, this is an exciting show. I've been looking forward to this probably since I reached out to our guest, uh, Ed Jurdy, uh, a few weeks ago. But realistically, since like 1998, when I first heard his uh, self-titled uh, album, Ed Journey, um, when I picked it up at Underground Music, a little uh, shop in Andover, Massachusetts, in the local band section, after seeing the public access uh, show from Andover with uh Chuck Wettergreen, who uh rest in peace, Chuck, um, was interviewing Ed. And I I played Will You Still Love Me Till the Sun Shines about a thousand times over and over again, recorded it, had it on repeat, made mixtapes with just that song. So um the, the rest of the album's great too, but don't get me wrong. So Ed, welcome to the show. Maddie, welcome back.
1: Yeah, good to be here. How many, how many uh small town record shops do you think were named that exactly in at one point in time probably many of them right they just were like ah, oh, underground record sounds fine we'll just go with it and they just jumped that it was probably like 50 hundred of them
2: <laughs> if not record shops then certainly uh there was always a venue called the yeah. underground or yeah we had a coffee shop in andover i can't remember the name of it honestly off the top of my head but um it was really cool it was like the first all ages club and that's where uh Probably a few years before you, Mike, but it was like uh, it was um, my band would play there like a couple of times a week and everyone could come and hang out and smoke cigarettes and be away from their parents and not get in trouble for it. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Got to have the underground places, you know. They're yeah.
1: More- yeah. Simpler times. Yeah. Everything was a little bit easier. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is good.
0: So and everyone, you know, kind of not everyone, but a lot of people got their start high school garage band would love to hear a little bit about, you know, your start and what brought you, you're in Austin, Texas. Now, um, what brought you out to Austin, how you got started in Andover, um, and, and your musical journey, I'll say. Well, I'll take you, I'll take you two steps further.
2: I actually live in Asheville, North Carolina now. Oh, okay. I did live in Austin for a number of years and that's kind of where the band of heathens yep. launched and took off. Uh, and I also played in a bunch of, uh, bands in high school rock and roll bands and a couple you know an r&b cover band um but it really started i started playing music before i think i was aware of it you know um there's some pictures of me at two or three years old in the living room uh just playing guitar my dad you know was an amateur musician played guitar and piano so there was always a lot of music around the house and before everyone had phones and could hang out and watch movies and have their own adventure you know like the family had to kind of entertain itself so like after the uh, the two TV shows that you liked were done, or whatever you're done reading your book, or you're bored, we'd all come in the living room. We had a piano in there and a guitar, and we'd hang out and play songs and stuff like that. You know, stuff like uh, "House of the Rising Sun" and "California Dreaming" by the Mamas and the Papas, and mm-hmm. you know, stuff by like John Denver and uh, James Taylor. All you know, all just great classic music. Um, and then, really, like the first time that I performed in front of people, I think it was four or five years old. At my nursery oh, wow. school, and my nursery school in Andover called LLL, which was which short for Living, Loving, and Learning. Um, yeah. We had this famous folk musician uh, named Ella Jenkins came to the school, um, and she's actually still living. I was—it's funny because I was thinking about this today, and I had actually looked it up. Um, it's amazing. She and she was kind of referred to as the first—the first woman of folk of uh, children's folk music. So she was like an educator and yeah. a folk singer, and she kind of traveled around you know teaching kids about music and stuff and i think there was just a little section where you know does any hey does anyone in the class have an interest in music or play music and i kind of got the guitar and we sang a song so you know it's really honestly been going since then um from there i went to west elementary and um yeah. had a band there in sixth grade and you know kind of any opportunity where there was an assembly or they would let us get up in front of in front of the class um it was great and, and after like you know at first the teachers and administration were always kind of uh skeptical of it they're they, you know they're like man these guys might suck this might be terrible <laughs> but, you know, we did it and it was really good you know the band was good and and everyone in the class loved it it was great for them too so then they kind of like administration and teachers got on board with stuff so kind of as we went forward like west junior high same thing you know I had a couple bands in junior high we would play at the end of the year we always had a couple things and then at andover high um yeah i had a couple bands and you know we we really kind of ripped it up it was it was great fun um had a band called dr head's rhythm and blues revival which was sort of a um it's kind of in the aftermath of this movie called the commitments which was a really cool movie about this irish soul and r&b band there was kind of like a a resurgence of that music kind of in the early 90s um yeah. in a college had a band called dreadnought and then We pick up where you found me with the uh, Ed Journey. You refer to that record as the Jesus Journey record now. Uh, (laughs) My hair was a little bit longer. um, But, um, yeah, man, and it's been going on, honestly, since then. I've been through college. I played music. And then, really, as soon as I finished school, I I picked up, and I've been doing this professionally for, like, 25 years. Um, And to your point about Austin, I think, you know, um, I kind of, I went to UNH and lived in the Seacoast area of New Hampshire. Um, Yep. And that was great. It was an amazing scene. I met a lot of great musicians there. Um, But I kind of was, you know, kind of had some ambition to do some other stuff. And Austin was always a place, you know, from from Austin City Limits to, you know, guys like Willie Nelson and Doug Somm, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And, you know, just the great history of Austin music and Texas music. Um, It was always a place that I I felt the kinship with, you know, so Mm -hmm. my wife and I soon after we got married found ourselves down there and like fully immersed in in the Austin scene almost immediately you know um and that's really where the band of heathens got kicked off we were uh we all had i had a residency gig at a club that's no longer there but with myself and three other songwriters we found ourselves sharing a bill you know like a 9 10 11 and midnight slot um there's a lot of always a lot of jamming everyone playing oh, on sure. each other's set and stuff it was super you know just really organic really fun stuff and um Someone had the bright idea like, hey, you know, each of us that are fronting a band, we're paying right. uh, a different band. What, what if we all yeah. to play together in each other's band? Then we'll only have to pay one drummer and bass player and maybe we'll break even. So that was like, that was literally the grand design of the <laughs> band. <band-keepers>. And uh, <laughs> 17 years later, I, we're still here. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, hey, you don't, it, you don't know, need
1: there. a complex origin story. Sometimes it just happens that way, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you were talking about. You know, this que- I hate this question when people ask kids what do you want to be when you grow up when they're like right. five, who knows? I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up now. But you're one of the first people I've talked to in any in any of these walks of life who's like you kind of had it early. Like you said, so- I don't know that it, I don't know if you would go back and say, like, I knew I wanted to be a musician, but it was very clear that you obviously like gravitated to that and it interests you. So it sort of like has guided you, which is cool. Cause you did know what you wanted to be when you grew up, but you didn't really have to like label it, which is cool.
2: Yeah. I mean, to your point, I think it's like, I, I knew I always loved music and that certi- certainly evident flowed, you know, like probably from, uh, you know, eight or nine to 14 or 15. I liked sports more, you know, yeah. played basketball and baseball and soccer. And that was really my thing. I was still playing music, but I, I would say like, I definitely was more into sports. Um, and then, you know, for, for a long time, you know, I was playing music, but I, there was, I had like, you know, I feel lucky that I was doing some other stuff in life. You know what I mean? Just had some other interests and yeah. Yeah. was having fun with other stuff. So it was never, it was never pushed on me or forced, you know? So when I, when I kind of came to, to wanting to do it and it's sort of like the time in your life where you're like, okay, well I just finished school. I got to kind of figure out what I want to do. I just kind of jumped right into, right into music and like, you know, any job that I had was really in the, in the interest of supplementing what I was doing with music. So.
1: Yeah. That was the driver. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, the other thing I think about too, and this is, I guess, Gibby, this is kind of like music month for us. It we're is really, yeah. we're really touching it all. Um, I, I always think about it's so different from what I spend my time on in my life. And I'm always sort of like scattered between multiple focuses and not really locked in on any of them, but it feels like from what I've heard from you already, and then other conversations we've had with musicians, you really do have to be quote unquote, all in on this. Like, you can't really dip your like, we're dipping our toes into the podcast world. And it, like it, it's like a, it's like an extension of what we do day to day, but you really do have to commit to it. Like it does take a lot of faith in yourself. It feels like, so I think like, like you said, you got some experience doing some other things on the way, but is that kind of, you know, is there, is there any part of you that sort of feels like I can't stop now, right? Like we're so far in, there's nothing else that I can do. I have to keep going. Like, is that kind of what drives you or what's that motivation look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, I never really had a, a a plan B, you know, I think people talk mm-hmm. a lot about that if you're going into like creative endeavors that, you know, a lot of a lot of people, whether it's family or friends are like, man, you need to have a fallback plan or whatever. And I really never yeah. did. And not in a way that I felt desperate about it or whatever, but just because I yeah. knew this is what I wanted to do and I was going to focus on it. I mean, to your point, there's, there's certainly a lot of ways to go about doing this. I mean, you certainly could have playing music be a part of your life, like you guys are doing a podcast, you know, I know people... You know, that are really great. They play, you know, one weekend a month or whatever, and that satisfies them. But for me, I think what I wanted to do with music and how I was driven to do music, that was never going to be enough. So to your point, yeah, it kind of was all or nothing. Yeah. For me, You know? um And it's interesting. I mean, I think what I, whatever I thought that was going to be has certainly been very different um in both great and not great ways. Um You know, but like anything else, it's, you know, you kind of, you put the work in, you put the time in and, you kind of have this cumulative experience and, you know, it, you, you kind of start figuring out how you want to make your way through the world.
1: Yeah. And I think too, like when you choose a profession an, as an artist of any kind, you said it best there. It's like everybody kind of you, you, we grow up and we're told, like, have a plan B, have a plan B. But then as you go, you kind of realize that you don't really need it because if plan A doesn't work, you just find another plan A. Always like you're still not practicing whatever that plan B is. So it's not like you're any further ahead, you're not like getting off the highway right on to like a nice transition. So that's a good way of putting that because I feel like that's one of those like safety net quote unquote things that people do. But it's like really just hyper focus on the thing you're doing and then sort it out later if it fails but you can kind of continually like I would imagine and I'm just guessing because i don't know your entire history here but there were probably moments along the way where you' are like I'm gonna be the biggest star of all time and then there are probably moments where the other end of the spectrum like this may not work and well, you yeah. battle through it
2: yeah I mean I thought that before I started doing it you yeah. know you gonna have practicing in front of the mirror yeah. you know but um yeah i mean you just kind of start to figure it out and then you also learn like you know to be the biggest star in the world, you, you certainly have to put your boat in the water in a certain direction and at a certain speed. And that was like really never going to be the right thing for me either. You yep. know? So it's like anything else. It's like, it it really doesn't like music aside or whatever. It's like, you have to kind of, even within the bigger, umbra- like, so whatever, there's all these different buckets, right? Like whatever your profession is. And then within mm-hmm. the bucket or under the umbrella or whatever the, the bad metaphor I'm using is right now. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm following it it's there's more specificity you know what i mean so you have to you know and for me it was like kind of like okay well i love you know like i love the band and i love neil young and i love bob dylan and joni mitchell and what i mean a zillion i mean just tons of different music and it's kind of like well this is the kind of music i want to make this isn't necessarily like the pop music of today but i feel like this is timeless music and this is music that i want to that's inspired me that's what inspired me to want to to want to play music and be in a band so i kind of everything I do is kind of done with reverence for the the music that's come before me,
0: you know, out of yeah. respect to it. You, yeah. you stole my, uh, my question there, Ed. I was going to ask you, you know, some of that. Me, yeah. Repackage it, repackage but, it, Gibby. Go but, back Well, in. no, I was going to say, you know, in terms of when you're sitting down, when you're, you know, the group is making an album, when the band's mm-hmm. making an album, um, are there certain artists that you feel like this is going to connect more closely to a comparison to, or do you, do you get concerned about a comparison as well? Because you don't want to necessarily be, oh yeah, they just do Springsteen, you know, like covers, but.
2: I I did when I was younger. Okay. Um, I mean, I think that like one of the best quotes I ever heard was from like David Lee Roth, who said, basically like, you develop your sound by failing to imitate your influences and idols. You know what I mean? That's really it. It's like, that's, that's how I learned how to play music. I learned how to play music. You know, I took, I had some lessons, a little bit of instruction, but. Really, when I started getting inspired and really into it, it was because I'd listen to records that I loved, you know, and I'd learn the songs and I'd try to play them and I'd try to sing them like the artists. and and like he says, sort of that distance between what you're what you're reaching for and where you actually are is where you kind of develop your sound. So yeah, I mean, at at this point, it's sort of like we're certainly reminiscent of a lot of different things. People could listen to a song and be like, "Hey, that sounds like X or Y or Z," and it's like, "Yeah, that's cool." I mean. Totally, and when I listen to the artists that inspire me, I listen to their music, and I hear like, "Oh, that sounds like X and Y and Z." You yeah. know what I mean? I, like, yeah. I've never music's a thing where I've never really looked at it as in, as like uh, in in a time or space. It's always fluid yeah. to me. Like, great music is doesn't sound old or new. It just it's yeah. just timeless, you know it's it's always yep. it's always there. It's very like very much uh, ephemeral and kind of in the moment.
1: There's nuance to, I mean, like anything, like you said earlier, there's buckets, umbrellas, however we want to go about it. There's nuance to anything that you choose to do. It's not, there's not a one size fits all. Like there's just so many options there, but you're right. I feel like, I was actually thinking this the other day, Gibby, I had Fleetwood Mac on and I was like, this music was listenable and excellent then, and it continues to be. And I don't see a world where people are just going to forget it. So there is like, so I guess actually, Ed, to you, is there a sweet spot timeframe frame? for music where you feel like everything inside of that window will just all as long as we're here always be enjoyable to a, a, a large swath of people like you feel like there was a sweet spot for music
2: yeah probably i mean i think part there's a there's a lot of stuff that goes into play and to kind of like avoid the sociological discussion about yeah. it you know there's sort of i'd say probably somewhere in the mid-60s you know like 66 mm-hmm. to like maybe 76 and there's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. for that it's you know, the best way I can compare it to in terms of popular music would me- maybe be something like, um, you know, the Renaissance or what happened with like orchestral music in the yep. late 1700s, you know, where there's just sort of the zeitgeist. Like, number one, music became the dominant cultural force in the world, you know, right expression. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, the entire baby, baby boom, boomer generation coming of age. This was like the first time in history we'd ever seen that and The And m- music reflected the time really for the first time ever. Those those artists were really the spokespeople for that generation, you know, and everyone kind of got on board with that along alongside with the fact that really that was the explosion in development of the business, you know, so you have these two forces kind of working in conjunction with each other. they really kind of raised the level and the stakes of everything to an incredibly high point. And I mean, that's happened with movies and that's happened with a lot of different art forms, you know, but I, to me, that's kind of a sweet spot. And certainly like, it's not an absolute that's not like yeah. a, you know certainly been amazing stuff before and after of course. but in terms of just like the, the 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 public consciousness uh and the attention being focused on music as a singular force i i'd say that's kind of the the period in
0: which it was happening, you know, that makes sense, yeah. Going and then back there's, a little bit, yeah. to, to the you know, to the albums, right? So, you guys yeah. have had some interesting concept albums, sure. like one, um, was the cutting room floor, some mm-hmm. tracks that didn't make it to specific, you know, albums that you were recording. Um, I, I'm curious to hear, like, what's the thought process when you're thinking, a, the lineup, like, this is how we're going to lay these songs out one through 12. Um, okay. also, which songs fit because you're probably recording 30 songs for. 10 songs that might be on an album.
2: Yeah, a lot of times it depends. You know, I think uh, it depends on the record. Yeah, we certainly have recorded upwards of 30. Um, but in the end, it's like going to be 10 or 12 songs. And, yep. you know, what we're thinking, I mean, initially it's just sort of like, look, we let's just record. We'll get stuff down. Yeah. But then, you know, when you kind of go to start sequencing a record, it's like, okay, well, how does this, because we still make records. You know, I know everybody streams. Yeah. I stream a ton of music and I listen to lots of singles and that's, that's great. But I also for, for people that are more interested in having a more immersive experience, you know, like tell you, a story, you want to put a record on, you want the record to tell a story like sonically, lyrically, which means, you know, you want to have some variation in the, the tempos of things, uh, some variation in the messages of the songs or, or the stories of the songs. Um, and then maybe hopefully like there's kind of segues where, you know, certain songs complement each other mm. musically or lyrically, sometimes both and, um, You know, I kind of want to have wanted to have an arc. You know, you have a side A and a side B. Both of those kind of should have their own little narrative and the whole thing should have an arc in and of itself. And then based on that songs would either, either make a record or not. And so to your point about cutting room floor, which I love, I mean, I love all those songs on that. Those songs for one reason or another, when we were making the records that they didn't end up on, uh, it was like, it was, it was, we felt like it was duplicate. Maybe we had ballads or we had, you know a couple songs in a minor key, and we only needed one, or you know, it could have been. And honestly, yeah. I don't even oftentimes remember what the discussion was at the time. You know, that's yeah. kind of what happened. that's how kind of micro and uh down the wormhole we go. When we're like when we sequence, yeah. I mean, I think you know, we could talk about it a little more, but like the new, the newest record that we that we yeah,
0: so yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely pitch pitch to the tens of listeners yeah. we have here. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I've so, heard a couple of the tracks so far, uh, same. It's cool uh, you know it's, it's stormy weather is uh on repeat for me right cool. now
2: So all right yeah it's <laughs> like so when we were putting that record together i mean i think we re- it was last we recorded like 17 or 18 songs but um you know with that record it was kind of like um we had a little bit more of a of an outline i would say guardrails is a is a better word okay. when yeah. we were making it you know we kind of um you know, and like, they're all different, like I said, but this one particularly, I think, you know, coming out of the pandemic, um, I think we really felt a sense of, of like renewal and being refreshed and recharged, you know, I think, mm-hmm. like the pandemic was boring for some people being home and just kind of like, you know, doing mundane things. But like yeah. Matt, you said, it's, it's kind of exciting, because we're doing something different every few weeks. Well, yeah. after doing that for 20 years, it's like, it, it doesn't, that's not exciting anymore, it becomes It's this weird thing where, like, you know, when you're traveling and moving and you're on the road all the time, what becomes weird is that, like, you're traveling and moving and you're on the road all the time. So that becomes normal. So, kind of going home and resetting, being with our family, you know, like, literally for me, taking a walk in my neighborhood, meeting my neighbors, walking the dog, like, doing, going to bed at the same time every night, making dinner, like, basic stuff. It really, like, it caused, it kind of was a great reset. And what it really did, I think, was get us all in this frame of mind of number one, for me, I started listening to a lot of the music I grew up with again and and from a new perspective you know and like a new appreciation for it and how it's kind of guided and inspired me and then kind of taking that into what the band was doing you know I think we felt kind of like a sense of renewal or like a sense of rebirth you know not that yeah. we were going to make a record like we made our first couple of records but like some of the energy and like and um urgency of mm-hmm. those records um I think spilled into what we were doing you know and I think uh, I think a lot of times in the past we've really kind of gotten into some records that have a lot of sonic experimentation, you know, like using the studio as a yeah. tool um, yeah. just, just for kind of like, cause it's fun. It's really, it's really fun. <laughs> it's fun That's, to do that, you know, but this was kind of like, Hey, when we plug in and start playing, this is a, a very natural sound we make. Let's not be afraid to just do that and capture it and, uh, and begin with it because it's different than it's ever been. Right. Because like, any record you're making is if at its best is a snapshot of a period in time. And I feel like what we do with simple things um, we really captured this, this post pandemic period for us in a great way and, and like in a really comfortable way, you know?
1: Yeah. It gives you a chance almost. And you basically said this, like it gives you a chance to slow down and like take your foot off the gas for a little bit and reassess like what direction you want the music to go into. Cause music's not finite, right? There's literally unlimited, like you mentioned. So it's kind of cool too. Like what, what, are so, do you save room in the process, you the band, for continually letting some other influences in to just give you do? So I guess two part question: Do you do that? If you do, is it for the purpose of like adding slight little tweaks or, or elements to your music that makes it sound just a little bit different? Not for anybody but yourselves, but just to kind of like explore where else you can go with it? Is that something that's a part of it, or am I just imagining that?
2: No, I think it's a lot less conscious than that, though. But okay. I think that this record, like. and and like to your point of it being of it being infinite like we have done records where we've gone to infinite space you know yeah and spent a lot of time kind of combing over things that were important to us at the time i think like with this record we spent a lot of time on it actually but a lot we were just a lot more um i'm trying to think what the right word is um methodical is not the right word but we had a lot more we were i I would say there was purposeful yeah Yeah. definitely like there was intent and purpose you know um and not to like duplicate or redo anything that we had done before, but sort of to establish, like, like I said, some guardrails and some kind of like working guidelines as to how yeah. we were going to kind of work through the songs, you know? And that that really helped a lot because it would be like, you know, we kind of bounce ideas around and it'd be like, try it. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of like not really fitting the vibe of this, you know? And you got to feel it. Yeah, that made it easy. That made it easier to make some decisions where in the past it was just kind of like, all right, yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, sure, let's do it. You know, we'll put like, pull like six synth tracks on this tune or you know 30 <laughs> background vocals and that's cool because it's fun you know you yeah. know what i mean like i said and it worked for the for that particular music but for this record um everything was it actually it was really easy and it all kind of um it came together without a lot of a lot of hand wringing a lot of effort you know
1: that's cool it's a sign of a good band you all communicating you're on the same page
2: yeah we've done we've been doing it for a while so everyone like yeah that's that's a huge part of it too you know everyone kind of it gets telepathic at a point, you know. It's like a, great, yeah. a good sports team, you know. So, like, yeah. kind of like you know, when you guys open, you can kind of lead him, pass him the ball.
1: Same playbook, same North Star makes it easier. Yeah.
0: Um, and so, with simple things, you've got uh, you're doing a residency at the Seaboys Boys Heart and Soul um, in Austin, correct?
2: We are. <laughs> I don't know what uh, I don't know what day this is airing, but it actually starts tomorrow night. I'm flying out tomorrow morning for the first one. So
0: day of, nice. Yeah so so anyone in the austin area if you have listeners uh we'll we'll release this most likely on wednesday get your tickets um how how long are you there how you know how long is the residency it's a month and i <laughs> and it, um so we're doing four weeks
2: it's cool okay. we've really done that enough. i mean that's kind of really how the band got started so it's again it's kind of there's a lot of return to uh Return to Origin story with this record. I think it kind of like ties that. together nicely, you know. And that's the band got started playing residencies in Austin, at, you know, at a club called Momos and then a club called the Saxon Pub and the Continental Club. A lot of great places in Austin. um So yeah, it should be fun. And, it, and it, it, the last one we're doing is um I think it's like March fifteenth, which is a couple of days before the record comes out, and that's right during the uh the week of South by Southwest. So I think it all kind of it all awesome. kind of ties together nicely.
0: So in terms of you mentioned a few venues, are there any, you know, flagship venues for you that you've loved to play, that you've had the chance to play, whether solo or with the Band of Heathens? Yeah, there's a lot. And off the top of my head, two that
2: that typically come to mind for me is uh, there's one in San Francisco called the Great American Music Hall, which is an amazing spot, um, Mm -hmm. The Grateful Dead yeah recorded their one from the vault record there from 1975 and just there's a million jerry garcia would play there all the time tons of amazing great amazing great shows that happen in that space and then there's a place in amsterdam called the paradiso that we've played a bunch of times over the years and that's an amazing it's an old an old church i don't even i'm not even sure when it was built but it's <laughs> uh, it's it's amazing
0: it's a beautiful very cool great vibe in that venue too and you mentioned um, Grand Ole Opry coming up as part of the the upcoming um, list of, of venues and opportunities for Band Bees mm-hmm. with the new mm-hmm. album. So tell us a little bit about plans at the Grand Ole Opry.
2: It should be fun. I don't really know too much about it yet, to be honest with you. It's going to okay. be cool because we're. I think we're we're going to be go and play as a band, and oftentimes, usually, artists uh, will go and the Opry band will back them. So that'll be oh yeah, a different dynamic, which is cool. Um, and actually, I guess in terms of venues too, this the Grand Ole Opry isn't typically taped at the Ryman. It's taped at at Opryland, which is the yeah. Opry Malls, which is a little bit outside of town. But we uh, we did get a place to, a chance to play at the Ryman a few years back, and that's okay. also another incredible, the mother church of country music they call it. That's another incredible uh, incredible venue.
1: You have a um, you have a venue in your mind right now that would be like ultimate bucket list to play, and why, if so?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, like, there's a bunch. I mean, like the Fillmore in San Francisco would be one. Sure. And then, you know, another one we talked about a lot is Red Rocks. I was just going to ask. That's one of my yeah. favorites.
1: I was going to say, yeah. yeah. That's a
2: great kind of like that in, in modern history, it's that's going awesome. kind to of become a go-to spot for music, you know?
1: Yeah. It's just that. So you're talking earlier, and this is obviously cliche, but like music is all about the vibes, right? It's a part of the music that's being played, like how you're feeling, people you're sharing it with. And I've seen a few shows at Red Rocks and I can definitely attest like that's, it just kind of like takes you, sweeps you up. And you. And I would imagine you feed off the crowd and the crowd feeds off of you and you probably play your best set because it's just like, it just feels magical at that point. So that's, as somebody who will never be on that stage, thankfully for everybody, I can attest from the other side, like this is cool. You definitely can feel it in that moment. So I like that. Yeah, I
2: mean, that's, that's the magic of live music. That's what I think what keeps people coming back to it. And we're certainly not a band that really is, like out to play the record the way the record is recorded, you know. So yeah. the yeah. the dynamic element of the audience and the and the and the performer and how that energy all kind of sinks together is really important. And to your point, yeah, I mean, like night to night, that's totally different. But on a great night when the vibe is right and the magic's there and the audience is in tune with what the band's doing and vice versa, it, it, there's certainly like another element. It lifts it to another plane. You know, that's yeah. kinda, that's kind of where we're all trying to get every time we every time we go out there yeah. to do it. Are there, is there you. a
0: specific song or, or whether it's cover or one of the, your originals um, that you love to play more than any other song live that you get pumped up for when you see it on the set list?
2: Not really. I mean, I like them all. It depends Again, yeah. like it depends on the night. And like I said, we kind of play a different set every night. Right. I will say I, I do feel like the audience and we've kind of really been hitting a good spot with it. But look at Miss Ohio the last like yeah. uh, last year or so. It's kind of really become this big kind of mid-set piece Um this really kind of goes from real quiet to real loud and and gets real heavy. And, uh, it's a, it's a good chance for everyone to kind of lose their minds for a few minutes, which is, yeah. everything, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, qu- so quick transition to the business side of this. Sure. So I was poking around beforehand, l- l- trying to dig a little bit deeper into you all. And I saw that you had a Patreon, which I think is really cool because, and again, I don't know, cause you know, I'm not in that side of the world, but I know that Spotify, for instance, and streaming in general, so much of that pie of your intellectual property is sliced out before you get a chance to get it. Is Patreon sort of, you know, Patreon being a place where you can sort of take back some of that creative and own it. Was that the, how long have you guys been there? Is it something new that you're doing? Like what are your thoughts around that part about the industry and in your day to day?
2: Well, this is our second full year, I guess. Um, yeah. We've been doing Patreon for about two years and really that was kind yeah. of a natural outgrowth of the pandemic where. Yeah really the way we made it through the pandemic was we started a live stream show that we did every week for like 52 weeks cool. 20 and 21 it's called the good time supper club um, okay. and we really didn't know what to expect but you know kind of through through doing that and finding an outlet to be creative we really found a great community of people that were you know a, a, like a core group of people that were really supportive of the band and really interested in kind of just accessing more content and more kind of behind the scenes stuff which is really what Patreon is yeah. Um, yeah, access and- kind of gives us it's it really gives us a good opportunity to share uh the process with our fans that are interested in that um and also it sort of helps us it instigates us to sort of continue to be creative it gives us another outlet to sort of to find not that we really need a lot of excuses but to find you know a way to share more music with those people so it's been really rewarding yeah that's cool
1: yeah it's nice too like you know, you go to a concert nowadays and half like you eat and, like so much of that money gets eaten up by fees and whatnot. But people are, I feel like for me anyway, I'm more apt to want to support my favorite artists that way when I know it's going directly to them and it's giving. And like you said, it opens up some backdoor, like backstage type content that you normally wouldn't see. So that's cool. I like that you guys are doing that.
0: So I've I've got one last question for you. You've been on the road, probably more than 99% of our guests um Mm -hmm. had experiences across the the country and world i'm sure um as you're traveling i'm sure there are times like all right we gotta get out and you know grab something to eat we're not gonna make it you know to Asheville until you know 10 o'clock and um so you're riding with um gordy Mm -hmm. and he's pumping gas you've got to run into the the gas station and grab something what is your your desert island your go-to snack well, you limited me by
2: having to be the gas station, I guess. But, it's gonna yes. be the gas yeah. station. Yeah, this is finite. Yeah. we got to cage
1: station. people in for this one, or else we <laughs> could be here for a while. Yeah,
2: it's, I'm probably gonna go with something like pistachios then, because oh. you know, if if I'm in, if my better half would say that, my worst half would say, you know, a huge bag of chips. That's kind of like, but both of those are similar yeah. insofar as that, you know, when you're driving, like eating is an entertainment thing. Yeah, kind of like mm-hmm. when you're sitting around the house. I mean. Yeah. Eating is entertaining. So you want to get something that has a long burn, you know, like if I go in there and grab like a kind bar or something or a cliff gone. bar, it's not... I've gone in like two seconds. I so, like
1: that. I like that thought process. Yeah. So I do that with
2: sunflower seeds or the chips, you know, it's, it's crunching in your head, which kind of will keep you awake. And that's oftentimes why you're eating. Um, yeah. And then it's, there's a long burn, you know, you gotta be careful not to eat the whole thing. Right. Cause then you just kind of had like a big Mac meal at McDonald's and you're not, you're yeah. looking
0: around. you're feeling like, Crap yeah. the rest of the you're run. not
2: looking at yeah. the calories in there, but you're looking you're looking for something to just kind of get you over the hump, you know?
0: That's so, a great answer. Um, when, when can we see the Band of Heathens in New England um, or somewhere local? Are you guys going to make a trip up this way sometime soon?
2: Yeah, we're working on it. I th- we're going to be in New York the end of March again, but I okay. think New England proper, if I had to guess, I'd probably say in the fall sometime. Okay. Late summer or fall. I, I know we're kind of mo- working on putting some stuff together um, right now. Yeah. So I always, I'm, I'm always happy to be, to be well,
1: home. We've got to get you back up on the seacoast. Yeah. Put Thompson's yeah. point or something.
0: Sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so Ed, I, I wish you all the best luck with the, the Simple Things album release coming up March 17th uh, with the upcoming residency, uh, everything that you guys have coming up media wise, This is probably not your first or or the largest media stop for this tour and for this record. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, It's good to have someone from Andover back on the, on the show and um, really appreciate it. And thanks for taking some time with Maddie and I Uh, best of luck and listeners um, download band of heathens. Uh, Everything they have on Spotify is fantastic. Go back to the Jesus album and journey's initial one. You'll see some of those tracks, um reproduce on band of heathens albums as well so uh really fantastic and and the musical stylings will take you everywhere you need to go so appreciate it everyone have a great evening
1: yep thanks ed good job man thanks,
0: guys nice chatting with you <laughs>